So I'm going to try really hard, maybe not shake quite as much as I did last time. I know like last time I tried to read, my like hands were up here shaking and a little noticeable, I'm sure. Um, so like when Tim sent me the set list, I was really excited, like just how much Ren Collective was on it. Like I know some of you like might not be super familiar with them, but Brenna, Brenna introduced me to them back like when I was living in China. She's like, hey, listen to this band. We do a lot of this at CRC. And ever since then, I've been on this like Ren Collective kick for probably like a year now. And when he sent me the set list, I went through and was reading some of the lyrics just for this week's songs or next week or um, just the ones we've done, I guess. Um, and I really think that that Desert Song, um, the Desert Soul song was really just focused on what exactly we're talking about. Because like we talk about having a desperate heart. We talk about Jesus teaching about the heart. And just listen to this. It says, I'm lost without your creative spark in me. I'm dead inside unless your resurrection sings. I am desperate for a desperate heart. I am broken, but running towards you, God. You make me whole. And we've been talking about how the heart is what God is after, so much more than just the external. And I just thought that fit really, really well with where we were going. And so a couple weeks ago, like a month ago, two months ago, something like that, Tanner and I sat down and like kind of tried to game plan for Matthew and tried to figure out like, okay, how are we going to break this down? Are we going to like really slow down in Matthew? Are we going to go big picture? Like, what are we going to do? And as I left that meeting, I was thinking on the drive home, like, okay, so like my first sermon as an elder is about lust. My second sermon is about divorce. Then I've got oath and retaliation. I'm thinking, I drew the short end of the, I drew the short, short straw. And I've offered him some trades and stuff, but he hasn't gone for it, unfortunately. Uh, but here I am. I, I just pray that maybe this, I feel like preaching this, I'm like, am I a single guy preaching this? Am I an almost married guy preaching I, I don't know, like, the perspective, but I don't think that matters. Uh, but maybe, like, we'll just hear this from a little bit different, in a different way, I guess. Um, pray with me. God, I just... I just thank you for being a God that is, so much, is just so worthy of our worship. You're a God that, that brought us all here this morning, each and every one of us, um, to this location. And Father, I, would just, I just pray that, that you show us our need for this desperate heart. And I pray that you'd give us a heart that is just desperate to know you more, desperate to love you more, and desperate to, to worship you, who are, who's worthy of our praise. And I don't know, Father, exactly what you're going to do today. I don't know if there's conviction needed. I don't know if there's grace needed. I don't know, Father, but I just pray that you just open hearts and that we would all just hear the words that I think that you've laid on my heart and just, just think about what it is and, and how you want to change our hearts. Father, I just give this ne these next couple minutes to you and just ask that you move, ask that this be just so much about you and not about me, not about um, even us, but that it's all about just worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Matthew chapter 5, um, 27 through 30. Um, we've been in Matthew 5 for, I'm not even going to count, probably two months now almost. Um, not quite. I'm going to go ahead and read 27 through 30. It says, And you have heard that it was said, this is Jesus preaching, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right hand causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So I really struggled this week to come up with like a great intro. Like I felt like I tried every method that I've been told, like, oh, wait till the end to make an intro. Or try at the beginning. And I, I, I tried all these things. I'm like, I don't have a good intro. And what's really disappointed is like this, oh, last weekend, I guess, I finally went and saw the new Star Wars. Finally. It came out to reel to reel. And I got to see it again at work on Friday. And I was like so excited because I was going to get to do an intro from Star Wars. Like I was going to be able to make Tanner and Daniel both really proud. And I was excited. Then I failed. I just couldn't do it. I tried. I really tried to like how, how to work in an intro with Star Wars. And it was, just wasn't working. And I'm sorry, Tanner. Um, I'm sure that him and Daniel both are probably going to come out to me later and say, oh, you could have done this. But I'm not cool enough, I guess. Um, and I, this week I read lots of like bits and pieces from um, different people that had to kind of weighed in on this, different commentaries, different things. And something that they always... An overwhelming majority introed with just a ton of statistics on adultery, on divorce, on lust, and just how that's just running rampant. They they'd opened with like statistics about the pornography industry and how it's like this monster that is controlling our society um, in more ways than we know. And I don't want to downplay that. I hope that it doesn't come across like I am not worried about that. Um, but that's not going to be the focus. I, I just like. We've been talking about God after our heart more than the external. And that is kind of where I want to focus here. Um, but I don't want to do that neglecting the weight that is there and the damage that's being done by all these, uh, by, by our society, really. Um, and I've really been praying. I really feel like Jesus is being very serious here. And I hope that we feel that weight a little bit. I hope that it's 99% of this is not the most encouraging thing that we've ever heard because Jesus is being very serious about a very serious topic. And I also don't want to portray like this whole thing of like, I feel like this topic is often preached at males. I have to teach it like, it's often taught like males lust, so stop it and let's not worry about the females. And I don't want to get into this, oh, males are ten, are um, are going to lust more than women. Not, not going there. Um, doesn't matter. But this fact that women can lust just like men can lust. And that's the way that I want to present this. Um, so we talked about the Old Testament being about Jesus from the very beginning and how it's pointing to Jesus, it's about Jesus, it's always going to be about Jesus. And we've talked about how all of a sudden now that with Jesus on the scene that all of a sudden he's talking about what, why this law was written. Like, the Pharisees have kind of been confused for a while. The Jews have been confused about, it's not just about the external. It's just not about making sacrifices. It's just not about doing the things that it says, but it's about God wants your heart and wants the intention of your heart more than he wants the physical actions. And Tanner kind of stole my thunder last week with First uh, Samuel. Um, I had this all planned. Apparently, I gave him a stink eye during a sermon when I heard him go into this because that's the one thing I had thought about beforehand. So I'm not going to like recap the whole thing, but what he said was that here you have Samuel going before all of Jesse's sons to pick out who's going to be the next king. And God is saying, that one. And it points to David, who's probably the most, the least 
physically intimidating, the, less, the least one who looks like a king. And God is saying, no, like he's the one I want. And verse 16, 7 in 1 Samuel says, For the Lord sees, not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I really think that's the overwhelming focus of last week, of the weeks going forward. Like, I'm focusing on the heart. And while he's like kind of narrowing and kind of, if we talk about doubling down on this, but I also think he's kind of broadening the scope a little bit because now all of a sudden, single people can commit adultery. And I feel like as a Jew, you're thinking, hold on, like, how can I commit adultery? I'm not married. And as you read the law, it's like, well, you've got to be married to commit adultery, right? But Jesus is saying, no, like, you can commit adultery in your heart with, if you look lustfully at a woman. And I think that's really important to note as we go through, that he's actually broadening the scope a little bit. I've been trying to, like, thought a lot about this this week, about, like, okay, like, what is lust? Like, what does that mean? And really trying to think that's really important to kind of establish before, like, we even really get into this much farther. Like, I looked at, I don't know anything about Greek, never took Greek, don't know. But I have this nice, fancy book that really helps me, like, look at this word and then transfer to Greek, and where else is that used in the New Testament? Really handy. But this Greek word, like, the definition... The one, like, lustful intent, that word. Not even going to try to say it. But it means to covet, to set the heart upon, to desire, to long for. Like, it's so much more than just a visual. Paul in Romans actually uses it um, three times, I believe, and it's, it, the same word is translated to covet, to want something that's not yours. So much more than just visual. So I really try to be all fancy and like make this like, try to like encompass all these things and like get a creative definition for lust. And like what I thought like kind of summed up like what we're going for here. I'm just going to read it. I was going to try to quote it. It just wasn't working. Um, wrote down, lust is misdirected desire that covets something that is not yours. This is, this is a desire, most often but not always, sexual desire that is contrary to God's commands. It removes the holiness and it removes the honor from the sexual desire that God has placed within us. Like, it's, it's, just more, it's so much more than looking at a woman. It's so much more than thinking someone is beautiful. It's so much more than thinking someone is handsome. It's so much more than that. Like, it's wanting something that's not yours. It's like they're saying, I covet that. I don't have it, and I want it. And I, I really think this ties in really well with what Tanner talked about last week, with like hate and murder, devaluing humans. Like, all of a sudden we've turned, this, by our lust, we've turned people into objects and not into people made in God's image. And I think that's extremely, extremely important. Like, it's the same thing. It's saying that my desire, my want, my, my needs are more important than that person is. Like, by murdering someone, what you're doing is you're saying, my life is more valuable than yours. That my life is um, more important. I think that's what lust is doing. Like, you don't hear, you don't hear anybody catcalling at a woman's sense of humor or, or someone complimenting or someone longing for, lusting after, like, oh, a beautiful soul or she's a beautiful person on the inside. And I think this, like, this devaluing is a big part of this, like devaluing who God has made each and every person to be. And I think without 
unintentionally and intentionally, what we do is we set up this like sin seriousness scale. Like you've got last week, Tanner talked about murder and anger. Like you got murder that's really, really bad. And then you've got hate that's pretty bad. Like we don't want to hate anybody. And then you've got anger, like being angry at someone. And like unintentionally or intentionally, we've set up this like scale that says like, at least I'm not doing that. And then like this week, like you've got lust, you've got physical adultery up here. You've got like, oh, premarital sex here. Like, oh, it's not as bad as if I was doing it if I was married. Or then you've got lust down here. And we like, you could, we like rate it, I guess. And like Jesus is kind of wiping that out. He's saying that, no, like, if you're here, if you're murdering, if you're committing adultery, it's because your heart has already been here. And then vice versa. Like, if your heart is here, you might as well be here. hope you guys are following my tears here. Um, but, like, I hope you see that. I think we do that unintentionally sometimes. And as we think about it, like, Jesus is saying, no, like, I'm after your heart, your heart's intentions. And where... And your physical response, your physical actions will come from that. I think that we've often, like, we're confused on what lust is and what what lust isn't. And I think that's partly at fault of the church, um, but kind of us as as a people, like, what is lust? What is attraction? What is lust not? And I kind of talk about, like, what is lust not? Like, I think that we, temptation to lust is absolutely not lust. Because we've talked about last week. We ta- or not last week. The last time I preached was Matthew 4, which was like two months ago. Almost exactly two months ago. It was on Valentine's Day. And we talked about Jesus being tempted. And like I read this verse in Hebrews. It says, it's Hebrews 4.15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And I think that's really important to note. That like Jesus, it says, was tempted in every way that we are. I would go as far as to say, like, Jesus was tempted to lust if he's been tempted in every way that we are, but yet he didn't. Tempted, but did not sin. So being tempted cannot be lust. Being tempted to lust. Sexual desire is not lust. I think that this often gets confused and not necessarily taught the right way sometimes, I think. That the sexual desire, like, to desire your wife, to desire your husband, is not lust. Like, that's a God-given desire in a God-ordained marriage. And I think that's really, really important. Like, let's not say that, that you're lusting after your wife if, because God has put that desire within us. Um, and I would even say that, like, looking forward to a sexual relationship with your future husband or wife within a God-ordained marriage is not lust. There's a bad, can't go too far with that. But that desire is within us. But it's there for a reason. And I, thought, I, I was listening to this, I don't know if you've heard of Joshua Harris. Um, I listened to bits and pieces of what he had to say, and he had a quote that I think was phenomenal, um, just about like, this desire and what it's supposed to lead us towards. 
I'm just going to read it. It says, he says, God calls us to wait for and express those desires within marriage. He's not condemning our sexuality. He's directing it. He's directing it in a good way. He says, I've interacted with single individuals who have this wrong mindset. They say, Lord, please, I want to pray my sex drive away. I can't handle it. It's leading me to sin. And he says, no, that is not a good prayer. Like, don't pray this sex drive away. That drive is supposed to drive you in a direction. It's supposed to drive you towards marriage. So let it drive you towards marriage. Let it drive you off your couch, put down the Xbox or PlayStation, become a godly man, and go find a wife. Like, that is the point. There's purpose behind the drive that God has given you. Like, there's a reason for this. Like, go become a godly man. Go become a godly woman. Don't just sit there and say, I'm struggling with this. Take it away. I can't handle it. Like, no. Like, use that. I also think that looking at a woman and thinking she's beautiful, or looking at a man, for, for a woman, looking at a man and thinking, wow, he's handsome? Sorry. Uh, like, that is not lust. Acknowledging that someone is beautiful. And I think that could often, it's, it's a fine line there. You got to talk like, are you thinking she's beautiful, or are you wanting her? And I had a pastor in St. Louis when I was there a couple years ago, that as he was talking about lust, as he was talking about just beauty, what he was saying was, as you walk down the street, you see a beautiful woman, like, you did no wrong in seeing a beautiful woman. That's not something to avoid. But what that should cause you to do is to look to God and say, God, thank you for making beautiful people. Like, thank you for being so creative in your creation that you made people beautiful. And then go on your day. Like, there's no lust there. Like, God made beautiful people. And I don't want us to think that Oh, she's beautiful. Oh, I just lusted. Like, that's not it. Like, that's not lust. And I really prayed as to, uh, if to go down this next route a little bit. Uh, but I really think it's really important. I think it's really important. Like, we talked about, like, beautiful people. And, like, made in God's image. Like, as creation of God, like, we are beautiful. And, like, we. And... I think knowing that, like that someone thinks you're beautiful. And I want to be very careful not to say the wrong thing or present this the wrong way. That nothing we can do can stop someone from lusting towards us. But I think we can be very wise in what we do and what we say, what we wear, things like that. I don't want to say that oh, you wore the wrong thing, you caused someone to lust. I think that gets thrown on to specifically women in the wrong way a lot of times. And I don't want to do that. Please don't hear me say that. But I think that we are called to be wise in our lives. And Luke 17, 1 through 4 says, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, that, she, that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. I, I just pray that we are aware of this. That, that we cannot stop someone from lusting, but we can make the opportunity greater, I guess. Like, I don't know what this means. I don't know, like, maybe this is something I need to rethink what I wear. I need to re re rethink the conversations I have. 
need to rethink what movies, what TV shows I suggest someone listen to. Like, I just pray that we're not someone who is causing someone else to sin, specifically with this. Um, just don't hear what I'm not saying. Like, I'm not saying that you wear that, you cause them to lust. Like, that's absolutely not what I'm saying. And I think we got to be very careful because it's often portrayed as, like, Jesus being so negative that it's all, like, lust, like, the beauty, the eyes, like, sexual desire, that that's all bad. And it's all presented. Like, he's saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, you're going to go to hell. Like, it's often thought of that way. And I don't want to do that because I think the church has done that, big C church, too often, like, there's a sex topic, and we're going to put it back in a box and lock it away, and it's bad, it's kind of icky, it probably shouldn't be talked about more than it has to be. Wait till you get married, then you can go open the box and try to figure all that out. And I don't want it to be all negative, because what Jesus is doing is protecting this good thing, like protecting this thing that is God-ordained, like the desire is for you to express that within your God-ordained marriage. And I just don't want us to think of, like, Jesus being completely negative. Negative, negative, negative. We haven't even gotten to, like, Jesus' response yet. Like, what he says, like, to do. And because I want to be careful. I keep saying this. I want to be careful. I want to be careful. Because I want to present this and not say the wrong thing. Because there's some, there's some fine lines, I think. That, as we read these verses, and it says... Verse 29 says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right, eye, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. I very much think the Bible should be taken literally when it can be taken literally. Like, I think that's a great starting point. Like, I think it's really dangerous to jump to an allegorical view, or that's a, that's a metaphor for something else. Like, I remember a conversation I had with Nate. I don't know why I remember this. We're in McAllister's talking about the Bible's interpretation. Is it literal? Is it a metaphor? Is it, like, do we need to look for something more than what the text says? Do we need to look for something deeper? And I think it's really, really dangerous to start there, to assume that it's a metaphor. But I, I do not believe Jesus is being literal here. And... and let me explain. Like, a blind man with no arms, no feet, no legs can still lust. And that by cutting off a hand, you're not solving the problem. Like, I read of some ancient, not ancient, but long ago church fathers that went and castrated themselves to, to try to take this literally. And then unfortunately found out that didn't solve the problem. And... I read bits and pieces if Origen did that. I don't know. Um, it was kind of skeptical on whether or not he did that. <laughs> that was not supposed to happen. Um, but, like, I would say that if... <laughs> we're going to skip past all that. Um, if... You could edit this, right? Okay. Um, but I think that if that solves the problem... I would say that we need to consider doing that. Like, if cutting off your hand would solve the lust in our hearts, then we cut it off your hand. Or if it tearing out your eye, if that solved the problem, do it. But that's not what Jesus is saying. I'd say that's kind of 
opposite of what he's saying. Like, the reason I want to be so careful here, though, is because I think Jesus is being absolutely serious. Like, serious. Like, we've talked about, like, it says the right hand, right eye. And, like, it kind of set up, like, the right hand, the right side has always displayed prominence or importance. Sorry, Tanner. Um, sorry, lefties. But, like, the right side has always been lefties with a Z. Um, but, like, it's always, like, displayed prominence. And, like, you see that it talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. You see, like, arguing about who, disciples arguing who's going to sit on the right. Like, so it's saying, like, cut off something that's important to you. Like, it might, what if it takes that? And I think it's really easy to, like, realize, like, what is Jesus saying here? And I think it's our tendency to want to, like, throw on the brakes a little bit, like, for Jesus and say, that's really radical. That's kind of drastic. That's, I don't know if that's, surely that's not what he's saying. And we try to, like, protect him a little bit, protect Jesus from being radical. And why I think we've done that is because as people, as specifically the Western culture, I think we've desensitized ourselves so much. I think we as everyone are so desensitized to this whole conversation. Like, I think, I mean, just movies, TV shows, conversations, like all these things, we don't bat an eye if an inappropriate sexual scene comes on a movie or TV show. Sexual innuendos and jokes in, in TV shows. Like, we don't bat an eye because we're so desensitized to this. And I don't, I think that that's happened from a very young age. My mom used to always say that growing up. She'd say, like, I'd want to go see a movie with my friends. And she'd go look it up on PluggedIn.com and see the ratings and all this stuff. And it drove me crazy. It drove me crazy because she's like, well, look at all this. It says this word X amount of times. And this scene is this, this, this. And I'm like, I'm not going. Like, that's always what it came down to. And she always would say, I don't want you to become desensitized. That was always what she said, and I didn't get it. I was like, this is dumb. Like, it has one bad scene in it. Like, why can't I still go? And, but I think that's just, like, where we're at. Like, we don't think twice. Or it's like, ooh, that's, that's not good, but I'm just going to watch it and get through it, and we don't worry about it. I, th I think it's dangerous. Like, Jesus is not, I don't think Jesus is being radical here at all. Like, I think that he's talking from the moral baseline, I guess. Like, Jesus is talking from biblical standards. Like, I've heard Andy Dale, people, I think, talk about this heritage, something about this plumb line. Like, you don't realize you're off of it until you're off of it. And what I think has happened is, We've been off of it for so long in this regard that, like, we're almost like a new plumb line. Like, and we don't think we're off of it until it goes a little bit overboard. Oh, that movie we showed a little bit too much. Like, I was okay with the first couple scenes. They were, they were sexual, but they weren't too bad. Oh, they crossed the line there. And, like, we've made our own little separate plumb line. And so when Jesus is talking back here, where it should be, we're like, ooh, that's radical. Like, throw on the brakes. Like, that's, you're not, surely you're not saying this. But I think that comes from us being desensitized to it. And, like, Jesus is talking as one untainted by sin. That He's talking as one that's not radical, but untainted by sin. 
and talking from like, this is where we need to be. I don't want to get like too caught up in like external things, like too caught up in this, because you can watch all G-rated movies and still have a heart completely full of lust. Like you could live in a bubble that's all white and you never leave and you could still have a lustful heart. Like I don't want to say that it's these movies or these TV shows, like that's the problem. But I think we're, we are mistaken if we think that none of that affects us. I tweeted this quote out a while ago and Daniel made a comment on it, but what it says is, if we are completely mistaken, we are completely mistaken if we think we can soak our minds or bodies in sewage and think we'll not be affected by that and not have it shape our desires. And Daniel said, I read that as literal sewage at first, but um, <laughs> I don't think that's what it's talking about. But I think we are a little foolish if we think we can go soak our minds and soak our bodies in all this inappropriate immorality and think that it doesn't affect us. I'm not saying don't go watch a secular movie. Don't go watch a secular TV show. But I think we're putting ourselves in a very dangerous spot if we think that it doesn't affect us. Like, 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul writes to a younger Timothy, like, flee youthful passions. And I love that word flee throughout the Bible. Like, it's not saying turn the other way. It's not saying I'm just going to look away for this little part. It's saying flee. And I think that's a big word. It's saying get away from it. Like, avoid it. And so I, I don't want to focus on the external, just the things that you can cut off. I don't want to focus there. But I think I don't want to ignore them either. I think that we can pollute ourselves so much that our hearts are drastically affected. Has everyone heard of this, like, turn and burn kind of preaching? This, like, hellfire, brimstone, like, Bible bashers? Like, I feel like most of us at some point have read or seen this to some degree. And I had a guy on my, on my university campus. He came every spring. His name was Brother Jed. Um, don't know if you've heard of him. He's crazy, man. Like, he would, like, come into this one little area called, it was the free speech area, like, right in front of our library, that there was a spot where, he can come say whatever he wants to. And he would come with his signs that would say, turn and burn, literally. And it would say, he'd, he'd go and he'd yell at girls in their sorority shirts. He'd go and yell at them and call them all sorts of names that I'm not going to repeat. He'd see a couple holding hands, man and woman, holding hands, and yell at them for immorality, yell at them for sin. And it was crazy. And he'd draw a big crowd. And I went a couple times just to be like, what in the world is this guy talking about? And... I don't want to condone that message, like that method, the way that's gone about. But I also want to say, like, is Jesus not using hell in this passage? He's saying, like, it's better that you do this. It's better that you take this so seriously that you cut something off than that you go to hell, that it drag you to hell. Like, in a way, I think that he's using the seriousness of hell, the reality of hell, as a real thing. And I don't want to condone the crazy things people say, but the, those kind of preachers, Brother Jed, and all those things, I think they're doing a, very much a disservice to the church. But I think he's emphasizing the seriousness. The seriousness of sin. The seriousness of killing our sin. Like, I guess my prayer has been as we go through this, like, talking about, like, I hope we realize the extent that we're desensitized. Like, I don't know where that is for you. That's going to be different across this room. Like, like, you know what you watch. You know what you think. You know your thoughts. You know your heart. 
which is what Jesus is talking about. But I pray that my prayer has been like all week that we would just feel this a little bit, feel like that we would look back and look at ourselves really and say like, where are we at? Like, what is my heart? Like, where is the lustful intent in my heart? Like, where am I at? And I hope that you, we feel a little yeah, uneasy, a little like, ooh, maybe I need to rethink some things. Maybe I need to work on some things as God changes my heart. And like, I think just that we realize this plumb line, if you don't get the analogy, ask later. But like, we're so off of it. We're so desensitized. And, Jesus, and yet Jesus is protecting this thing that is beautiful. Protecting this thing that, this desire that he's placed within us. Like, I would pray like that this kind of like knocks us down a rung or knocks you to the floor. I don't know where it, how you hear this, like where, how this affects you, where this convicts you, I don't know. Like, but I hope that we feel it, that it knocks us down a little bit. But the cool thing is, as I was looking around, I tried to like read Matthew as like from the beginning to where we're at now and to try to like read that, think about that. And what I think is awesome is like if it knocks us down, like I pray that we don't get up, like that we stay exactly where we're at because I'm going to go back and read something that Tanner preached a couple weeks ago and like I think this is awesome. Just a couple like verses back. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Like it seems like the broken people on the floor is who he's talking to. Like, it seems like the people that realize their need realize that they're kind of dirty, they're kind of broken, they're kind of poor in spirit. It seems like that's who he's talking to. Like, it seems like he's saying, like, see your need, like, and that's when my grace is going to save you. Like, this has never been for the, the, the strong and the clean, but he's saying, like, this has been for the dirty, for the weak, like, the poor in spirit, like, that you're mourning over your brokenness. And that those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, but they know they're not there, but they hunger and thirst for that. Like, I hope that we realize this, that it's like, that is what the gospel is. Like, that we know we're dirty, we know we're, we're messed up, that we've got sin, that we're, we realize that we're desensitized to the sin around us. And yet God's saying like, I want your heart anyways, let me change you. Like, as I finish, I just, I want to go back to Ring Collective again. I thought that was, like, awesome the way that, Tan, that Tanner, Tim led in with, like, the desert soul. But another song I think really fits in here, which I'm sure some of you are already thinking about it. But he, they write, create in me a clean, clean heart. Create in me a work of art. Create in me a miracle. Something real and something beautiful. By your power, I can change. I can change because you're not finished with me yet. I just pray that we would feel this, that we'd, you'd feel the brokenness, but that know that like, God is wanting to create a clean heart. Like, that's what he's after. Like, 
yeah, we're dirty. Yeah, we're broken. But that's good. God's going to change our hearts. And I don't know how, that, how you hear that externally in your life, the things around you, the things you soak your mind and body in, the sewage that's around, the non-literal sewage. Like, but I pray that we would think about that, that, that we'd really pray about, like, God, like, create a clean heart in me. I think that needs to be our prayer. Let's pray.